You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about the topic of spiritual warfare. And then I wonder if we can just pray right now and ask God for His help. So Lord, we just pray today, Lord, for Your Word. Help me to speak it clearly without confusion. Help our spirits to receive us. And open our eyes and ears that we might understand it and receive revelation from you. May it move us forward. May we not be focused on just our own problems, but recognize, Lord, what's behind it. And to recognize that you're still with us in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be talking about the uh, person Job. Uh, And now that's not a popular topic to talk about. So that's why I didn't advertise it ahead of time. Because who wants to come and hear about Job. But there's some truth in here that I really want you to get a hold of, and it's kind of been something that's been on my heart since the beginning of this week. And so if you'll turn with me to the first couple of chapters of the book of Job, it's actually, if you find where uh, Psalms is and just go left, you'll find Job, okay? And I want to give you a little background about Job here. And Job was an actual person. He wasn't just an allegory or a story. Um, He was believed to live around the same time as Abraham because he served as a priest for his family, kind of like Abraham did. And there was no mention of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, so it's quite possible that Job lived before these people came into being. There's no mention of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. There's no mention of... uh, you know, the regulations of the Jewish people. God is referred to as the Almighty. It's the phrase that's used for him 31 times in the book of Job, and that was something that was uh, distinct to that period of time. So it's believed that Job was kind of a pre-patriarchal or during-patriarchal period of history. And so he may have lived around the same time as Abraham. We also notice, too, that the same kinds of people that were threats to Abraham were also the same kind of people that were around when Job was around. The Sabians, the Chaldeans, which indicates a time either during Abraham's lifetime or before. Uh, The author of Job is either Job himself or some believe that Moses may have written the book of Job. And Job's life, with it we ask the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And actually, the title of my message is, Why Do Bad Things Happen to God's People? Because there is sometimes a a mentality that God's people should not go through anything bad. And for the most part, we experience blessing, we experience God's favor, but there are times where we go through things. And like Job and like Job's friends, we may have a crisis of whether or not we believe that that should be happening to us and all sorts of questions about the character of God, the goodness of God, ourself, what's happening. We have all these things going through our mind and heart. So I want us to take a look at uh, the person of Job, and I want us to first look at the kind of person he was. Because you may hear some preaching that, well, you know, uh, God punished Job because Job sinned. And that seems to be a theme that his friends adopted and believed But if you actually read through the book of Job, which is a bit of a lengthy book, about 42 chapters in all, don't worry, we're not reading all 42 chapters this morning, so don't get nervous. 
But if you read through it, you know, uh, you'll recognize that that's not the case at all. We see that Job was a good man, a righteous man who loved and honored God. So let's take a look at that together. We're going to start with Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and all his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now, you might think to yourself, I can't quantify sheep and goats and donkeys. But you have to understand that in Abraham's time and the time of the patriarchs, that's how you measured wealth. It wasn't measured in gold and silver. It was measured in livestock, and Job had quite a bit. Verse 4, it says, His sons would go and feast in their houses on each his appointed day, would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart, and thus Job did this regularly. Now, uh, the land of Uz, which is a funny name for uh, a, a region, but it is the region uh, south of the Dead Sea in northern Arabia, which means that Job wasn't an Israelite, but rather of Arabic descent. Uh, but he served the God of the Israelites. He was a righteous man of incredible faith and devotion. He was upright in all his ways is how he's described. He's a man who, who feared, or another word for that would be revered God, and was upright in all his ways. He acknowledged God and served him faithfully. And so concerned was Job with uh, his own righteousness and the righteousness of his children that he offered sacrifices as the priest of his home. He would offer sacrifices to God just in case his, ki his kids, his children, did something wrong. And so he was, his life was marked with character, with integrity, and a love and reverence for God. So much so that God takes note of it. Take a look at verses 6 through 12. We see a dialogue take place in heaven. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now, i got to pause here and says when it says sons of God, it actually is referring to angels in this case here. Okay? So, your translation, you might even say this. When the angels of the Lord came to present themselves before God, Satan came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? In other words, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro from the earth and walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none other like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And so Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and surely he will curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in whose power? Your power. This is very important, because most people will look at the book of Job and say, Well, God really gave it to Job. 
God really punished Job. But what we see is not that at all. He says, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, uh, if, if you hear me talking about Satan today, I don't want to give any credit to Satan. I want to give any glory to Satan. He does not deserve our time of day. But for the purpose of this story, we'll talk about him very briefly and minutely because he doesn't deserve the press. But if you're going to prepare for your enemy, it's best to know what your enemy does. It's best to know how he operates. And it's best to know like, what's the best strategy to go against him. So you might ask yourself, how is it that Satan can access heaven's throne room and talk with God directly? Well, first thing you must remember is that before Satan became the devil incarnate, he was a guardian cherub in God's court. Uh, if you need to refer to anything, write down uh, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Uh, you'll see that uh, Satan was once an angel named Lucifer, beautiful, bright, and radiant, who guarded uh, the very throne room of God himself until he rebelled against God and said, I will be like God. He saw his own beauty. He saw his own power. He saw his own position and says, you know, I think I can take over for God. I think I can take his place. And so Satan led, Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven. The book of Revelation chapter 12 tells us that a third of the stars or a third of the heavenly host was taken with him in his rebellion. Many scholars believe that to mean that over one-third of the angels in heaven joined Lucifer in his rebellion against God. As a result, he lost. He should have known that. He was the creation, not the creator. And so he was cast down to heaven. Uh, he was uh, consumed with fire and corrupted. Uh, it says that he was uh, you know, barely recognizable, that he was uh, a shell of what he used to be. And all of the uh, angels that fell with him became fallen angels, unclean spirits, uh, demons themselves. Prior to Christ's resurrection, Satan would come and bring accusation against God's people. So whenever Satan wanted to bring accusation against God's people, he would make an appearance in the throne room, usually unannounced, and say, well, you know, here's this person, and look what they did wrong, and here's that person, and here's how they sinned and fell short. What are you, you going to do about that, God? Are you going to judge them? Are you going to do something against them? And so the name Satan actually is Hasatan, which means the adversary. His name literally means the accuser. This is good for you to remember if you're ever going through something and you hear this little voice inside your head telling you how terrible you are, how God doesn't love you, how you shouldn't go to church, how you should just give up on your faith entirely. I got news for you. That's not coming from you. That is coming from the accuser of the brethren who Christ himself, when he uh, had victory on the cross, when he resurrected from the dead, cast him down to earth. In fact, we see when Satan says, you know, when God says, what are you doing here? You know, you're no longer an angel. You're no longer part of the club. You don't belong here anymore. You're, your pass has been revoked. We actually changed your key code. So, like, I don't know how you got in here. Maybe you snuck in through a door, but you don't belong here. So where'd you come from? And Satan says, I've been wandering through the earth. So heaven's no longer his home, but this earth is his dwelling place. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul says that he's the prince of the power of the air. So we have to understand that that's where he dwells and where his power resides, and we see it in this world. Verse 8, we see something peculiar in, in God's dialogue, and he says, Have you considered 
my servant Job, there's none like him on the earth, a blameless man, one who honors God and fears God and shuns evil. What an endorsement by God. God commends Job as an exemplary, righteous life that pleases God, and he holds up Job as an example of goodness, integrity, and faithfulness. Someone the accuser could not say anything about. I want you to remember that. Remember who he is. He's the accuser. He's the adversary. He comes to God pointing out all of your faults and everything else. And so uh, God says to him, have you considered Job? What do you got to say about Job? And Satan gets really mad about it. He says he's really upset over this. He can't get to Job. He can't touch Job. Satan cannot touch the righteous. He can touch those who don't follow God because they don't have his protection. So if you're looking in the world and you see people going through harsh difficulties who don't know the Lord, they don't have the benefit of God's protection like you do. They are not children of God who have been redeemed and born again. They don't have his hand upon their lives guiding them, directing them, providing for them, and protecting them. They are vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy. So Satan can't touch those who belong to the Lord. He can touch those who walk in sin because as we read in Romans, the wages, bless you, of sin is death. And the payment is destruction and death. So if you are going to deal in sin, you are going to receive a paycheck of destruction and death. So we might say to ourselves, well, sometimes why do I go through bad things? We must look at our own lives and our own character. But a righteous person like Job is covered with a hedge of protection. And the scriptures tell us that the Lord surrounds the righteous with a shield. So Satan is unable to directly afflict him. But he believes if he's able to, then Job will falter and fail like every other person on the earth. Satan's mistake is that he thought Job only followed God because of the blessings that God gave him. He acknowledged how blessed Job was, that God blessed everything he did in the works of Job's hands. He believed that if he took away all his wealth and provisions and ruined Job, that he would curse God. He believed that if he took away all of his blessings on Job's life, Job would abandon his faith and even curse God. Now that's a question for us, isn't it? That's a question for each of us sitting here today. What if everything you held dear was taken away? What if everything we had was stripped away? Would you still serve the Lord? Would you still be faithful to him? Or would you, like Satan said, curse God and die? If you're only following God for his blessings, then you'll find the book of Job to be immensely challenging. God allows Satan to afflict Job. Not because God didn't love Job, not because Job did anything wrong, but I want you to hear this, and I want you to get a hold of this, because this is something that should be an encouragement for us when we as God's people go through immense challenges, frustrations, and difficulties. So great was God's confidence in Job's faith and integrity that he allows Job to be tested by Satan. 
He allows it. Why? Because he knows that Job will come out on the other side still full of faith, still maintaining his righteousness, still maintaining his integrity. So I want you to think about that today is that when we go through things, we sometimes think that God's abandoned us. Like you might, like Job's friends might have thought about Job is that God surely abandoned Job or he's upset with Job or all these things are happening to Job because Job has done something wrong. It's the complete opposite here. As my friend Yann used to say, sometimes God needs to trust you with trouble. Because when you're trusted with trouble, it means that you're doing something for God. When you're trusted with trouble, it means that there are times where the enemy's upset with you. Listen, if you're being attacked, it means the enemy's not pleased with where you are right now. If you are living for him, if you're doing God's work, the uh, attack and the persecution is not coming from God. It is coming from a world that hates what you represent. It's coming from a devil that's out to get you and try and frustrate and discourage you. When you go through it, don't ask, where is God? Ask God, how are you going to get me through this? How are you going to bring me through this? Because I don't know what to do with the information that I've received, the news that I've received, the things that I've been through. I don't know what to do with that. But you do, God. And if you allowed me to go through it, then you know that I'm going to get through it too. And boy, is Job ever tested. Take a look at verses 13 through 19. It says, Now there was a day where his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them. Then the Sabians raided them and took them away, and they killed all your servants with the edge of the sword, and I'm the only one to have escaped to tell you. While that servant was still speaking, another came up and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while that servant was speaking, another came to him and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels and took them away, and yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while that servant was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on all of them, and they are all dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't know about you, but that's a soul-crushing day right there. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of day that you wish that you never got out of bed for. Job hears four bits of bad news in the course of one day. One right after the other. Have you ever had days like that where you get up and you're off to your day and you're going to work or you're going about your business and you just have one thing after another, after another, after another? Days where it seemed like nothing could go right. And that everything was falling apart around you. I want you to know and be aware of the way that Satan attacks. If Satan can't get to a man through temptation, he will attempt to bring him down through tribulation. I will say it again. If Satan can't bring a man down through temptation, he will bring, try to bring him down through tribulation. Because even though you're a man or a woman of God and you're walking with the Lord, you still have things that are close to your heart. Am I right? I've seen a godly men, pastors who are incorruptible, have walked with God and walked in God's anointing, 
And there's nothing that could corrupt them or bring them down. And I've seen the enemy attack their family with cancer or division or children being far from God. And what that does is it caused the man or woman of God to look away and all of a sudden they're vulnerable. You couldn't be vulnerable in your character. So he went after the people that were outside of your eyesight and outside of your protection. That you weren't necessarily looking for them to be attacked. But the enemy says, I'm going to attack that which is closest to him, and that's how he gets to the person's heart. Satan will try and take you out by attacking your family, by attacking your finances. He's attempting to break Job's will and break Job's faith so they'll curse God. Satan attacks in three ways. He'll attack your provision, he'll attack your family, he'll attack your health. He'll attack your provisions, he'll attack your family, and he'll attack your health. When these things happen, there are times where we kind of falter in our faith. We serve God when things are good, but when we can't make ends meet, we start to question whether God's with us or not. Or when we're feeling sick in our bodies, we, we feel as though God's abandoned us. I want to encourage you today that God has not abandoned you. He has not left you to his own devices. He's still on the throne. He didn't switch places with Satan. He didn't say, hey, you drive for a while. God is still on the throne. God is watching what's happening to Job. God's heart breaks for what's happening to Job. But he says, I need to let this play out. I need to see how this is going to go. And I need to know that my my confidence in Job is well placed. God has the benefit of seeing the end results. He knew that Satan's attempts to try and frustrate and destroy Job were going to be met with nothing. But Job didn't know that and Satan didn't know that. So a lesson had to be taught to Satan and Job needed to have his faith tested so that he was coming through on the other side strong. I want you to notice the misplaced blame here as well. His servant said, God did this. Fire from, fell from heaven. A wind came and knocked it down. I want you to understand that even Job's friends misplaced it as well. It says, God's punishing you. God's after you. God's doing this to you. So why don't you confess your sin? Why don't you confess what you've done wrong? And Job says, I haven't done anything wrong. And I don't know where this is coming from. But what do we notice from before? Who's responsible for this? Who's the one that's bringing the attack? Who's the one that's been given permission to afflict Job? It is Satan. And all these things are brought on by his hand against him. I want you to take notice of Job's response to this devastating news. Take a look at verses 20 and 22. It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground. And what? And he did what? And he did what? What? You worship? God, when your heart's broken, when your family is gone, when everything that you had is gone, Job, what? He worshiped God. He said, God, I still trust you. I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know what I'm going through right now. But I'm going to worship Job shaving his head and tearing his clothes were signs of grief and mourning. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not charge God, uh, sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So Job is showing signs of his grief and signs of his mourning, but never once does he question who God is. 
Never once does he cast blame on God. Never once does he rebuke God or, or disparage his name in any way, shape, or form. He just simply does what he always did. And when you're going through it, you just need to do what you always did. If you worship him when things were going good, worship him when things are going bad. Don't change who you are for the circumstances that you're going through. Worship God for who he is and for who you know him to be because eventually you will see that come through. He worshiped God through his sorrow. He worshiped God through his grief. He worshiped God through his confusion. And it confuses him why he's going through it. There's a song by Marvin Sapp. It's an old gospel song. My wife's not a huge fan of gospel music because of the repetition. But there's a song by Marvin Sapp that says, uh, Praise will confuse the enemy. Praise will confuse the enemy. And the lyrics go like this. I've had my share of ups and downs, times when no one was around. God came and spoke these words to me. Praise will confuse the enemy. So I started singing, I started clapping, I started dancing, people were laughing, they knew my problems, but I, and they knew my pain, but I knew God would take them away. Satan did his worst, and Job is worshiping. You want to make him mad? Just fall down on your knees and worship the Lord. Fall down on your knees and just depend on God all the more, and that will frustrate and anger the devil beyond what you can imagine. Job kept his integrity. Job uh, kept his eyes on the Lord. God is vindicated because his original assessment of Job's faith still stands true. But Satan has another idea. Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. You're still with me? Even though we're talking about Job? Even though it's not a pleasant story? You're still with me? Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Again, there was a day where the sons of God, or the angels of the Lord, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil and still holds fast to his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his own life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. And his wife even came up to him and said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as, one, as a foolish woman speaks. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. God calls Satan a task. He said, Job is still blameless and upright. He's been faithful to me. He's maintained his integrity in spite of the fact that you incited me to allow him, you to harm him. 
You told me that if I removed the hedge of protection from around him, that you would prevail, and you have not. This shows how different God's people are from regular people. Satan knows mankind. He knows their sinful nature. He knows their failures and trappings. He doesn't understand the heart and mind of a righteous person who truly loves God. The fact that Job still worshiped God confuses him. He doesn't get it. Satan has another strategy. Afflict him with sickness. Job breaks out with terribly painful boils across his entire body from head to foot. Uh, The rest of Job goes on to describe the kind of suffering physically that Job went through. It says that he experienced nightmares, scabs, disfigurement of his face, bad breath, loss of weight, fever, pain, night and day. And that's what Job was going through. The third way that Satan attacks is through our health. He figures if he can't break Job's faith, he will break Job's body. So he uses sickness to attack him. This shows us that sickness is not from the Lord. Okay? It's either the result of the fall of man when the earth was cursed in Genesis 3, or it is the result of Satan afflicting a person. So there are sicknesses and things that kind of come to us, like if you stub your toe, you know, if you get a hangnail, you know, if you get a cold, these are just things that happen to people because we live in a world that's fallen. But there are times where the enemy, Satan, will use sickness as a tool to afflict God's people. But notice that God prevented Job from being killed by Satan. He forbade it. Instead, Job experiences incredible pain and discomfort. Now, an aside for you to keep in mind, this is pre-Mosaic covenant. This is before Jesus came. This is before Christ's blood destroyed the power and the curse of sin and all of its effects on the cross. This is before the manifest power of the Holy Spirit to save, deliver, and heal. We have more at our disposal today than Job ever had. More at our disposal today than Job ever had. Job did not even have the fully developed written word of God to stand on. He only had an understanding of the revelation of who God was and that he needs to be followed faithfully, righteously, and offer sacrifice. That's all he knew. But you, brothers and sisters, have so much more than that at your disposal. You have the very name of Jesus at your disposal. You have the very word of God. You have the spirit of God dwelling within you. The, the, the patriarchs and David and the prophets long to have what you have. And yet we are more under siege and more challenged today than any of them ever were. We, we feel like our faith is in jeopardy at every corner and every turn. Can I challenge you today to have faith in God and use the tools at your disposal? Utilize what God's given you. Utilize the Word of God. Utilize the Spirit of God. Utilize the name of Jesus. Recognize and remember what God has given you. But Job didn't have all that. Instead, he suffers. His own wife tells him, curse God and die. And Job's like, can we accept only good from God and not challenges and adversity? Job kept his perspective that I don't only serve God when things are good. I only trust him when I know the outcome. I serve him and trust him and follow him no matter what because he's God and I'm not. He's in control and I'm not. He knows the future, but I don't and I trust him. God 
is at the forefront of Job's mind, and Job trusts God implicitly. Job has three friends, which I'm sure you know about. At the end of chapter 2, he has three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who at first do what any good friend would do. They sit with their friend who is grieving, and they don't say anything. You know, seven days pass, and they just sit with him in silence. Can I just challenge you to be the kind of friend that just sits with a person when they're grieving? Be the kind of friend that just stays and prays, stays and prays, stays and uplifts. The challenge happened, and where they messed up is when they started talking and trying to figure it out. Okay? The moment they said, well, let's try and figure out why you're going through things. Can I just tell you, don't try and do that. Like people have come to me, I've, I've sat down with people, I've counseled with people, and they go, why is this happening? And I've literally said to them, I don't know. Because I don't. I don't know why they're going through something. But I can give them encouragement and hope that God will help them through it. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just to stay and pray when someone's going through something. Instead of trying to figure out what uh, God is doing to figure out why Job's going, what he went through. And, and here's this man suffering with sickness and loss. And they go, they're saying, just admit it, Job, you sinned. Why do you, why do you deny it? Are you so stubborn and proud that you would dare at, try and cover up the fact that you've said it's clear that God's punishing you? Which, as we read the first two chapters, it's not, is it? God's not, God's not punishing Job. Satan is angry at Job, and he's probably been angry at him for a long time. And he's taking out all his frustrations on Job to try and prove to God, like, see, your people only serve you when things are good. Is that an indictment against us? It is. Your people only love you when you're doing good things. And God's like, no, no, no. I know my son. I know my daughter. I know the one who faithfully follows me. And I know even though they go through the valley of the shadow of death, they will still bless my name. They will still keep their integrity and their faith will come through intact. They might be a little bruised. They might be a little bloodied. They may be a little saddened. They might be a little changed. Sometimes you go through stuff and you're different after. You know what I'm talking about? You're not the innocent person you used to be. You're not as naive as you used to be. You might even come out, dare I say it, a little jaded and a little sarcastic on the other end of it. And you have to constantly allow God to work on that to soften the heart that you have that can be hardened by the experiences you go through. You do come through it differently. But your faith should be unwavering and firmly rooted in Him. They talk, they philosophize, they lecture. Instead of making Job feel better, he feels worse. The lesson to us as friends is to grieve with those who grieve. Stop trying to figure out what they're going through. Listen to them when they talk and stay and pray. This goes on for 42 chapters. 42 chapters. And if you read it, it's like, okay, who's up next to, to rebuke Job? These friends are like, well, I've got something that will figure it out. Job, how about this? Have you thought about this? And Job's like, you guys are awful comforters, all of you. He says, clearly you guys are so much smarter than me. Like, he's just raw at this point. He's just, I just can't deal with them any longer. But for 42 chapters, this goes on. And it's filled with questions, grief, laments, arguments, and encouragements. 
all the things that most people would wrestle with when they go through hard times. But Job's story is a story of prevailing faith. Job was right about God. Sorry, God was right about Job. Job never does curse God. He doesn't even charge God with wrongdoing. Sure, there's moments where he's like, God, what are you doing? But that's very different than saying, God, how can you do this and you're doing evil against me? He's just saying, I don't understand why. Job mourns. He does lament his condition. He does ask questions, and he wants answers like anyone who is suffering would. But in the end, God does speak with Job, and Job does hear his voice. So even though you're asking questions, it doesn't mean that God's going to completely ignore you. Eventually, Job has a conversation with God, a conversation in which he doesn't really get an answer. Man, that's frustrating. Like, but, but why am I going through this? And he doesn't give him the benefit of telling him that. Job knows now, in heaven he does, why he went through what he was doing. And maybe he went through this just to encourage you. Can you imagine, like, this story is just to encourage you. This story is to let you know that not everything is good when you're serving God. Sometimes you go through hardship. But he knows now. And Job recognizes when God speaks how small his place is in a very big universe that God created. You know what's interesting about the book of Job? It's actually considered one of the poetic books. I don't know if you knew that. There are different sections of scripture, books of law, books of history, books of poetry, books of prophecy. You know where Job falls? Poetry. You know why? Because of wisdom. Wisdom that is gained and garnered from the book of Job. And that it's written to be beautiful. It doesn't sound beautiful, Pastor Dan. No, no, you're misunderstanding. The way it's written, the diction, the prose, the, 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 the setup of the book is written in a poetic way according to the language of its day. Uh, you see a, a picture of that, for example, in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible is written poetically, and each of those Hebrew letters that appears above it, each sentence starts with that letter. So that's an example of a poetic book. Job is a poetic book because of the way it's written and because of the wisdom he gained from it. Can I challenge you to see that Job's book is beautiful because it shows us God is still faithful to us. God is still with us. And that even if you go through the worst of the worst, God will be with you in the midst of that. It's an example of maintaining your faith in hardship. There's beauty, and also there's restoration. Now, how's the book of Job end? Job 42, verse 7. Let's look at that. God didn't have to do this, by the way. Job could have died experiencing all this. But I want you to notice what happens with Job. And I want you to notice what God has to say about Job. It said in verse 7, And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. Something for us to remember when we're counseling people about why we think they're going through something. If we're saying God's saying this or you did that. He said, the things you said about me 
couldn't be more wrong if you tried. He says, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams and go. My servant Job will offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Look at that. You three were wrong. Job was right. You better ask him to pray for you because you were in sin, not him. And to think about it this way is that the testimony of Job's life is what he went through, and he still maintained his faith and integrity so that no one could say to him, yeah, that's the person, you know, the moment things went bad, he turned against God. He, he spoke ill of God, and he, his tune changed. See, he's just like everybody else. They couldn't say that about Job. And Job maintained integrity, and Job actually was commended by the Lord and had to pray for his friends so that God would not be angry with them. So what happens with Job? Is Job just left in his sickly state with nothing? No. Verse 10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And indeed, the Lord gave twice as much, Job, twice as much as he had before. And verse 12, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the first days. Verse 16, After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations, and so Job died old and full of days. Job's latter years were blessed. Hear me, church, when you live long enough to know that hard times pass, you will see good times again. If you've been long enough on the earth, if you have a long view of life and a long view of history, you will live long enough to know that this season ends. This moment that you're going through will pass. This valley that's dark, you'll come through on the other side. It's not all death. It's not all disappointment. It's not all a lack of provision and famine. There are moments you go through it, but on the other times, there is God's blessing, His provision, His restoration. It's there. And you know why you go through those times? So you can reflect upon them and say, there was a time. There was a time where I almost lost hope. The psalmist wrote that. Were it not for this, I would have almost lost hope. And it's for you to look back and I said, I remember where I came from. I remember having nothing. I remember when my mom died. I remember when my dad died. I remember when my, my, my son committed suicide. I remember when my nephew was going through difficulty. And I remember those times, but God brought me through. And I came out on the other side. And yes, my life is different. And yes, things aren't what I want them to be. But God brought me through. And I've lived long enough to see it so that you would be like Job in his 140 years with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and telling them how God brought you through and telling them how God brought you through. You're going to make me dance and only two people clap? How dare you, sir? How dare you, church? May the Lord resurrect you today resurrect you in your spirit today for this word because God's going to bring you through on the other side and you won't be just the stories of like what you've been through and the trauma and the crisis it'll be the story of God's faithfulness and his goodness through all of your years and you say I'm still standing what else you got I'm still here I'm not moving I'm still I've taken your best shots And all the devil can do to you is everything in this life and nothing in the next. 
everything in this life and nothing in the next. Good luck. Nice try. But guess what? I have eternity. Guess what? I'm going to live forever. Guess what? I'm going to see my family again. Guess what? Ha <laughs> ha! Thank you, Lord. I'm not inviting his attacks. I'm not looking for a fight. I wouldn't dare do that. Never challenge spiritual forces. But I know where my God stands. I know where he is, and I know what's waiting for me on the other side. And I will see those days. I will see the blessing not only in this life, but in the life that is to come. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you. I don't like it when the devil picks on you, people. I don't like it when you go through hardship. I don't like when you hear bad news. I don't like hearing about things. You in the hospital, you losing your job, you being challenged on the inside. Everything within me just breaks when I hear that. In spite of that, I get mad at the devil. I pray that you would get mad at him too. And that you would stand on what God's told you. Use the tools that God's given you so that you stand firm. And so the devil goes, I just give up with this person. I can't get to them. I'm done. I quit. I'm going to move on to someone else that's easier. May you not be easy for the devil to knock over. Can we close our eyes for a moment as we wrap this service up? As we end this broadcast and as we get ready to do communion together. Lord, help us. Jesus, be praised. Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He is with those who are crushed in spirit. Every tear you shed in silence and in isolation, he sees. So what is it that you're going through today? What is it that threatens to completely undo your faith today? you hold on knowing that God is looking at you and saying, that's my servant. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're going to make it. They don't see it now, but they're going to make it. And they're going to represent me well. They're going to speak well of me. I won't be ashamed to be their God and them to be my people because I know that they speak of me what is right. May that be our heart today. If you're going through something right now with no one looking around, you just say, Pastor, pray for me. Pastor, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm not sure I can deal with this anymore. And you say, just, Pastor, pray for me right now. Would you pray for me? Just lift your hand. No one looking around. Just pray for me. Hallelujah. Thank you. Anyone else? You put your hand back down. Then let's pray. God, we just thank you. God of Job, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God that 
came as Jesus Christ into this world. We look to you. Lord, I pray for every heart that's broken. I pray for every person that's challenged. I pray for every difficulty they're going through. We just pray right now that you would break through the enemy's attack. Break off the enemy's attack. In the name of Jesus, we thwart every effort of the enemy to destroy, to steal, and to kill. In the name of Jesus, right now, we break off the attack. We frustrate the enemy at every turn. Lord, would you arise and show yourself strong? Would you provide? Would you intervene? We pray that people will be set free from bondage. We pray that people will be healed from sickness. We pray that people will be set free, Lord God, from the things that bind them up. We pray and we call in right now provision, miraculous provision, no more joblessness, no more unemployment, no more difficulties, no more strife. We pray now in the name of Jesus, we call in your provision right now. We pray right now against strife in the home. We pray against division in the home. We declare peace over those households. Every spirit that does not belong there be gone now in the name of Jesus. And we declare once again, reaffirm to you our utmost faith, trust, and devotion to you, Lord God. We pray that you would raise up a hedge of protection around this church, around these people, and everyone connected with them. May your righteousness be a shield about them that the enemy cannot penetrate. May the blood of Christ cover each person and keep them from harm and keep them from sickness and keep them from difficulty. We pray now that we would see progress. Whereas October has been a time of great frustration and difficulty, Lord, we release the progress in the name of Jesus. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's already done in heaven. So now, Lord, we ask, do it here. Do it here. Do it here, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's word today.